but I don't necessarily like see them to their fruition. And if I write it, it causes me to complete and look at it and go, that's what I felt or that's what meant to me kind of thing. Welcome to the Find Your Voice podcast, a show where we believe in the power of the written word to create positive change in your personal life, your community, and the world. I'm your host, Allison Fallon. Whether you're an aspiring author or someone who swears they're not a real writer, we're here to show you how a regular practice of writing will help you access your intuition, make an impact, and find your voice. Join me for interviews with authors, writing prompts, and stories of how even simple words change lives. If you have a book you know you need to write, but every time you try to sit down and actually put words on the page, you end up frustrated or confused about what you're actually doing, our Prepare to Publish self-study course is an affordable and easy way to finally finish that book you've always wanted to write. Prepare to Publish Self-Study is a 90-day self-guided program that walks you through the process of outlining your book and finishing your book proposal document, which is the key document to getting agents and publishers to read your work. When you sign up for Prepare to Publish Self-Study, you get a digital workbook that walks you through the process of outlining your book step-by-step, teaching videos that pair with each of the assignments to make sure you're never confused or lost, and access to our resource library where you can learn things like how to find a literary agent or the differences between self-publishing and traditional publishing. At the end of the 90 days, you'll not only have a completed book outline, you'll have a finished book proposal document, which is your golden ticket to securing meetings with agents and publishers. But even more than that, this document is the Bible you will use for writing your book. Imagine a world where you didn't sit around for a decade wondering if you would ever publish your book. What if you could actually finish? That dream is closer than ever with Prepare to Publish Self-Study. To get started today, register at findyourvoice.com slash publish. On today's episode of the Find Your Voice podcast, I want to do something a little bit different. Today, I'm talking to a woman you might have heard of possibly from me. Her story went kind of viral on this podcast that I listened to, and I personally binged her season. The podcast is called Something Was Wrong. And if you want to hear Sarah's story straight from her mouth, you can search for the podcast Something Was Wrong wherever you listen to podcasts, wherever you're listening to this. Scroll all the way back to season one, and you'll find Sarah's story there Beware, I binged the podcast when I mentioned this on Instagram. I know a bunch of you went and binged the podcast. So once you get started, you're not going to be able to stop. If you want to go listen to this, it's going to take the rest of your afternoon, possibly into tomorrow. I think there's like 13 or 14 episodes. But this is an award-winning podcast that's a really important show that covers topics like abuse and manipulation, betrayal, narcissistic personality disorder. But when Sarah shared her story, because it was the first season of the show, she just simply had no idea how widely it was going to be shared or listened to. For the sake of today, I'm not going to read a traditional bio for Sarah because for as well-known as she might be, it's actually a little bit hard to find her on the internet. In fact, after I listened to the podcast and heard her say that she wanted to write a book, I tasked my husband with tracking her down because he's really good at that kind of stuff. I mean, her name, Sarah Lewis, is a pretty common name, so I had a hard time finding her. Matt found her in no time at all and connected us on Instagram, and I found out she had already followed me on Instagram. And I was so grateful to connect with her. I told her how brave I thought it was for her to tell her story, which actually has a lot of similarities to mine. I was really moved by listening to her bravery. 
And she told me something I thought was really interesting. She said it didn't feel that way at the time. It didn't feel like she was doing something really brave. So this is actually what I talk about with Sarah today, and I'm really excited to share this conversation with you. I want you to think about a couple of things, not just the power of her story and what it meant for her to be able to say that story out loud and share it with so many other people who are connecting to what she's talking about, but also what would it be like to all of a sudden overnight have people talking about your personal story or weighing in on your personal story or even criticizing parts of your personal story? How exposed would you feel if that happened to you? The reason I want you to think about that is because I know so many of you are wanting to write and record your personal stories and and even just as many of you are hoping to be able to share those stories widely and for as focused as we can get on getting our story out there i think sometimes we forget the complications that come along with sharing that story with a group of people who may not know all of the details the behind the scenes to our story and who may not know us so we're going to talk about those complicated tensions today with sarah she's got so much wisdom to share with you I can't wait to share this conversation and hope you love it as much as I do. Hi, and welcome to the Find Your Voice podcast, Sarah Lewis. Hi, thank you. Sarah, it's so good to get to chat with you. I'm so excited about today's conversation. Oh, I know. Me too. It's an honor, actually. Well, so I'm going to just let our audience in a little bit on how I found out about you and heard about you. I was listening to podcast that I got completely sucked into called something was wrong. The first season of the podcast, which is the whole season is you just telling your story. And I got sucked into it for a couple of reasons. Number one, because you're a very good storyteller. And so it just did what a good story does where it opens a story loop. And I wanted to know like what happened and why, and what was going on and what's the conclusion to this story. I also have a lot of personal connections to your story and we'll get into that more. I'm sure But so for many reasons, I got sucked into this, but I completely binged the podcast. I listened to it all in a single weekend. I think it's like, how many episodes is it? I think it's at least it's, I want to say 13 or 14. (laughs) (laughs) It was was a busy weekend for me. (laughs) I listened to the whole thing in a couple of days. And at the end of the season, you made kind of a passing comment like, yeah, someday I'd love to write a book. And I was like, I have to get in touch with this girl. (laughs) Oh my God. So I creepily reached out to you because I was like, I want to just hear more about your story and, and your experience of sharing it so publicly. And I also would love to chat with you about the idea of writing a book and, and sort of like, what does that mean? And what holds you back and all of that stuff. So, oh, I'll start. I just got so sidetracked and distracted because I'm excited to talk to you. But the question that I always ask to kick off these episodes is... What does it mean to you to find your voice? Yeah, yeah. That's been a really big thing for me, especially over the last couple of years, not only since my, you know, experience, but just in our general, you know, climate that we're in right now, politically and culturally and, you know, communities and everything. And I I think it comes down to not just what we have to say or what our thoughts or pillars of our beliefs are, but the medium that we choose, you know, through which to express it kind of thing. And yes. finding that outlet. Cause a lot of us know that we have thoughts, we have, you know, a, a worldview or we have gut feelings or something that we need to get out or express, but we, we might not know the problem might lie in how to get that out and what that medium is. So I think it's finding 
both what to say, but then through which to say it. Yes. Oh man. I love that. We've not talked about that before on this show about the different mediums, but I do think that plays a huge role. You know, it's different to share your voice on Instagram than it is to share your voice in a book than it is to share your voice with your grandma. So I want to hit pause on that because I do want to come back to that later, but can we, can you give listeners just a little bit of background on the story that you told on something was wrong? Yeah. A couple of years ago, I met a really charming guy through online dating and he swept me off my feet, had a really big charismatic personality, uh, was, you know, charming. He really swept my family off their feet. Um, Mm. and not all of my friends, but the ones that he knew were close to me that were important to me. He really charmed them too. was a big spender, you know, flew me places, took me to meet people, just kind of lived life on a scale that I had never experienced before. And our relationship progressed really quickly. We were engaged within three months. And what's really unusual, besides how fast that was, was that my family appeared to be on board. So that's kind of what, you know, propel me into thinking, well, sometimes these dreams do happen. I've heard stories where this works out, you know. Sure. Nine days before the wedding was supposed to happen, it was actually the day of my bachelorette party. My parents out of nowhere just sat me down and asked me to postpone the wedding. Hmm. I thought that they were (laughs) overbearing and too in my business. And I kind of just had this, how dare you, you know, idea that who do you, I'm sorry, who do you think you are? Yeah. You know, (laughs) especially to, to come down this hard, the day of my bachelorette party, wedding, like you're going to have to give me more than that in order for me to call off my dream wedding. This is not going to happen that way. And really it came down to, I know my parents, I know that they don't get in my business and I could see the fear on their face. And when they told me that they and other friends and family members of mine had this gut check and they just felt like something was off about him and they couldn't place their, you know, finger, put their finger on it. I thought, okay, well, you're all wrong. You're all wrong. (laughs) (laughs) But bottom line, I don't want to have waited this long for my dream wedding and have none of my friends and family want to come. (laughs) Which in retrospect, oh my God. But anyway, I ended up calling off the wedding and the next day found out that he was not anything that anybody thought he was just by happenstance lies came out his past. I found out, I found out so much. I mean, I don't, you know, yeah, go listen to the podcast if you haven't yeah. already, because yet yeah, we don't want to give away the, the, the best part of the story. I mean, not, sorry, the worst part of the story. <laughs> hey, I get, the story arc matters and that, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, Tiffany, the podcast creator set it up, boy. She really, <laughs> yes. Really I mean, that's sucked in. Yeah. So you, before you shared that story publicly, That was your first move at sharing a story very publicly, wasn't it? Yeah. What was that like for you? Because it's a really personal story. I mean, like I said, you and I share so many of the pieces of this story in common, except for I married the guy. (laughs) And a few days after my wedding, I was like, wow, I've made a terrible mistake. But it took me uh, months, I mean, if not years after we split to start saying out loud to even friends, but but let alone like on a podcast or in a book or whatever, this is what happened to me. And so I was so impressed when I heard your story. I thought like, what a powerful woman that she's 
you know, putting her face up to this microphone and, and sharing this story with so many other people who are going to avoid a tragic outcome because you, you shared your voice. You know, when I first, when everything was super fresh and I had the opportunity to tell the story, I've always come from the perspective that I've got nothing to hide. Everybody is good and I can trust them with, you know, my personal life or just stories or things because everybody has, I don't know, like everybody's on the same level kind of thing. So when I was still in the shock of everything, I told the story coming from a, oh my gosh, can you believe this just happened? I have to yeah. get me. And the guilt and shame and embarrassment didn't really hit until later. <laughs> yeah. I spent six hours in Tiffany's kitchen relaying, you know, from beginning to end <laughs> my worst life experience. And then later when the story started coming out and there were reactions, you know, from the public and different thoughts that hadn't occurred to me, I, that's when I started to think, oh, did I make a mistake? Oh, should I have done this differently? Was I, was this my fault? you know, because I was sheltered and, you know, too vulnerable. And that's, so that's kind of where things ended up going. And I had to wrestle through that and ultimately came back around to not regretting it, but. Yeah. Well, and you also got a lot of really critical feedback from people, which is to be expected, no matter what story you're telling in, in the present day that we're living in, when you share something publicly, it's like, of course, everybody's just going to have everyone's going to find a problem with something, even if there's no problem with it. But I would love for you to talk about how, you know, the challenge I know from being on the other end of that, the challenge of sharing a vulnerable story and then having people insert their opinion into your life can kind of make you feel like you regretted sharing your voice or like you don't really know your voice. So can you talk about that experience a little bit? Like maybe first start by sharing what some of that feedback was. Yeah. My, my family was called into question for being too close to codependent. That word was used a lot. Mm. The fact that we, my close like nuclear family, were all Christians. So that belief system was brought up a lot as being the reason that we were so gullible and that, you know, I thought that God called me to marry this man. And so I was, you know, being blindly obedient to some perceived you know, bigger, higher plan. Sure. What caused me to overlook red flags. My ex used a lot of scripture, you know, to manipulate me. So mm -hmm. a lot of what I have just grown up around, which is a close family and a belief in God and prayer was sort of turned to become the cause of, you know, what had happened. And if that wasn't the way that wasn't who I was, I wouldn't have fallen for this. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was the family, the comments that I saw on your family that I just thought like, how can you, I, I don't know, people are going to criticize whatever they're going to criticize. But I was just, you know, thinking to myself, even you said in the podcast that it was unlike your parents to step in and make a gesture like this. And to be honest, I remember thinking about my family. I was 26 years old when I got married and I remember thinking later on about my family, I wish they would have said more or done more. And then, you know, as I was listening to your story, I was thinking, well, I don't, I don't know that there's like, how would you know what to do as a parent if you saw red flags in a person who your child was choosing to marry and they're a grown adult and can decide for themselves, you know, to walk down the aisle. I don't know that there's like a right choice to make. Yeah. I mean, how do you, if you truly can, you know, are convinced that your child that 
you've been, you know, protective of their entire lives is about to walk off a cliff. How do you tell them that? Is there a right way to do it? You know, yeah. it depends on your relationship with them. And normally would I choose whether or not to have a wedding based on a family member's, you know, opinion? Absolutely not. I know that that decision lies with me, but I know my parents and I know our pattern my whole life. Yeah. And I know when they're both not okay. And especially seeing the fear on my dad's face, you know, that's what caused me to think, okay, there might be something, but if anything, I just want everyone to want to come. So I'll put this thing off, you know, we'll get on the same page and then we'll have this party. Yes, sure. So after all this happens, I know you, you said something to me the first time you and I talked, I can't remember exactly what your wording was, but something like that you had an impulse to write about it. And I know you started a blog and started sharing, you know, you share stuff on Instagram as well. Can you talk about that impulse? Like what do you, do you have an idea of what it was that has made you want to put this story on paper? Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was like this drive. I would wake up with it and go to sleep with it. Just yeah. I write it. I have to write it. And I mean, ever since I was a kid, I've loved stories and I've seen my life sort of as I'm walking through it. This sounds funny. It's hard to explain, but as a story that I'm walking. Yeah. yeah. And from the age of 13 to all the way through college, and I took five years to graduate, I never missed a night of journaling ever, even if it had mm. on a napkin. So during the day, even in, in like little snapshot moments, if I was having fun with friends or doing something, I would suddenly, I would see the moment in my entry that night and get all excited because I would see I would see the paragraph. I would see the story kind of and go, oh, this is great. This is going to be fun. You know, yeah. So writing my life experiences, not expecting anyone else to read it, but myself helps me to kind of like see feelings and thoughts from the beginning to the end. Like sometimes I'll feel things, I'll sense things, but I don't necessarily see them to their fruition. And if I write it, it causes me to complete and look at it and go, that's what I felt, or that's what yes. that meant to me kind of thing. So it writing what happened to me from beginning to end helped me look at it, you know, from a bird's eye view and go, okay, this is what happened to me. Now, what am I going to do with this? It's kind of like when you, when someone's coming to you asking, what do I do? And they're asking for advice and you tell them, well, what would you tell someone else in your position? Yes. It's so much easier to see clearly, you know, someone else's situation and what they should do than it is for yourself. So it's kind of like, I'm, I'm doing that for myself. (laughs) Yeah. I have a friend who says you can't read the label from the inside of the bottle. And that, that metaphor to me has always stuck and just made so much sense. I'm like, yeah, when you're outside of the bottle, you can read it perfectly. But when you're trying to read it backwards and all foggy, it just doesn't make sense. So we're so close to the experiences of our lives that we don't really understand them. And, and, you know, the fact of the matter is like our brains are meaning making machines. So they're making meaning of a story regardless. But when we don't have that needed perspective, the meaning you make of the story might be a meaning that's actually quite detrimental to you. And that meaning will repeat itself again in your life over and over. So it's so wise and intuitive of you to, to get it on paper, stand outside of it and say, okay, what meaning am I going to make of this? Am I going to make the meaning to be, I can't be trusted because I chose this bad relationship? I know that's a temptation for someone who's been in an abusive dynamic like you were in, 
Or am I going to make the meaning to the story like, oh my gosh, I'm such a badass. I can't believe I like escaped this narrowly by the skin of my teeth, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It took me, (laughs) there's sometimes I feel that sometimes, you know, I don't, but yeah, it helps me. It helps me look at it like I'm looking at someone else's, you know, scenario and then I can go, okay, am I edging into unhealthy territory? You know, like what false beliefs have I started to agree with and make my own reality and, and you know, what really is true and not true of what happened and yeah. where I am and who I am. So some of that writing that you're doing, you're doing privately, and then some of it you're sharing publicly on Instagram or on the blog. What are, what are some of the pros and cons you've experienced of sharing that writing in a wider space? Yeah. The pros have been the common ground, the connections with people that I never expected. I don't know why I didn't think this through when I told you know my story on the podcast, but I didn't really see ahead to all of the people that for some reason felt that they couldn't tell their own experience that was similar yeah. and they hadn't received that same validation. So I didn't realize that by me publicly telling my story, whether on my blog or on Instagram, you know, or uh, on a podcast, I was speaking for other people that somehow didn't feel like they could tell the exact same thing. So it was validating for them. And I've, my response to those people that have messaged me and said, thank you for sharing what I couldn't. uh, My response is why not? What are you, what's the, what's the worst that could happen? It's rejection, you know, but is it really that bad? The, the pros definitely outweigh the cons. Yeah. I mean, I had that sense too, as I was listening to the podcast, I was thinking like, this woman is so brave. And also I got the sense that you didn't really think of it that way. I don't know if that's true, but that you weren't, you weren't thinking like, I'm, I'm, I'm stepping into this really brave thing. And I'm, you were just telling your story. You were just being completely transparent and authentic. And like, why wouldn't I (laughs) tell the story? And I was thinking, you know, just like you mentioned that there are thousands I mean, I don't know how many it's thousands is underestimating it, but of women out there who, and men too, who have experienced similar types of stories where you get in a toxic or abusive dynamic with another person where they make you feel crazy, where you you have, they leave you sort of questioning your own sense of reality. And then you get out on the other side. And for some weird reason, you feel like it was your fault and like, yeah. you should never tell anyone about this. You feel really stupid for having gotten swept up into their, you know, like their hurricane. And as I was listening to you tell your story, I I thought exactly that. I'm like, there are going to be so many people set free simply by listening to her share this so freely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I told people before that have been, you know, shooting themselves in the foot and and just kind of, you know, or kicking themselves over what happened. I'm like, look, a strategy came against you. You were a target you know, you didn't just go tiptoeing through the tulips into, you know, uh, you know, the devil himself. Yes, totally. You know, this, this was a strategy designed to deceive. And often, you know, I feel like I've said this so many times, but you know, manipulative types like we have encountered love a challenge. So it's not like they went after an easy target either. That's sure. doesn't feed or fuel their egos. So I, yeah, the connection, I, there was a while where I was, overwhelmed with the response. And so I I actually haven't updated my blog since last summer um, or written a lot about my experience on Instagram because there was a while where I thought, okay, do I want this focus to become the rest of my life? I just want to live my life for a little while because I feel like I'm healed and I want to enjoy not 
diving back into that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, it's so easy to become known as something. And so I can understand that bit of trepidation where you're like, if I tell this story, you can feel the energy behind it. And so you're like, I'm going to become known as the girl (laughs) who escaped this guy. Yeah. Um, I totally get that. I've had multiple blogs in the past and they were honestly always centered around fun stories or I would tell something funny that happened to me on the bus to San Francisco or something or the story, you know, something in my family and people from school in my past would always say, I wait for your posts. You know, this is yeah my day. And when I started my new one and started sharing about, you know, what happened to me, I realized it was, it had taken on a completely different tone because I was in a really dark place. So I found myself kind of getting, you know, almost bottlenecked into, okay, how do I lighten this up again? How do I, sure. I don't want this to be the tone or theme of stuck in being so serious, even though I can, you know, yeah. so that's why I took a step back for a little while and going, okay, how do I keep this depth and this connection that I've, you know, experienced um, and that I've created with other people and continue to help feed that community. Cause I do feel a connection to those people, but how do I also get that childlike, you know, perspective back in my writing that I used to have that would just make people laugh and make me laugh. <laughs> reading Yeah. It you know, it's interesting. I've I talked about this a lot, but writing, I think of it kind of like a relationship. So it starts with this relationship with yourself where you're sort of using writing as a mirror to see yourself more clearly in your life. And then you may begin to share your writing a little bit more broadly. Like I can remember early on sharing back when Facebook had notes, they don't have that program anymore, but it was like a blog basically, but on Facebook. And so you'd like write these Facebook notes and then you could like share it on your Facebook page and people could go read your little post. And you know, like my 12 friends and my mom would read the post and be like, this is pretty like this beautiful. Thank you for writing this. And as you begin to invite other people into the process, it changes the way that you write because you're getting feedback on your work. And so, and not just on your work, but on your life experiences, and it helps you to see it from a different perspective. And just like you're talking about as that audience grows, it can sometimes kind of knock you off your center because you're getting feedback from people saying, hey, you're not the Allie I remember you to be, or you're not the Sarah that I remember you to be. You used to be so fun and lighthearted and now you're like all dark and, you know, (laughs) dreamy or whatever. Sometimes it takes a little bit of back and forth before you figure out like, how do I bring the fullness of my authentic self to the table? And maybe this goes back to what you were saying before, like different mediums are different, different seasons of life are different, but connecting with your audience because it's a relationship and receiving their feedback, but not allowing it to completely change you. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's huge. And that's something new to me. Cause I've never had an audience like this. I've never had so much input and I have noticed that when I'm making decisions on what to share and what to write, those comments and messages, whether good or, or negative, yeah. are starting to steer, you know, sometimes what I'm going to say. And I, I also want to say what I feel people following me either need to hear or want to hear. And I'm having to step back and go, okay, but what is in me that needs to get out? And I want to stay authentic to that, whether or not it matches up with what I'm receiving from readers or my community. Yeah. That's so good. I want to step back just a little bit to something you said a few minutes ago about the shame and guilt that so many victims and survivors can often feel after leaving that abusive dynamic One of the things, I'm curious if you resonate with this, one of the things that I really struggled with was after my marriage was over, 
I threw myself into therapy and yoga and whatever else that I could use as a healing tool for myself. And I had a really hard time, but it was also such an important part of the process, pulling apart what was on my side of the street for just as an analogy versus what was his. And like, you know, so much of it was doing that self-talk, just like you were saying, where you're like, this is a talented manipulator. This is a person who had me out as a target. This is a person who knew exactly what he was doing the entire time and who intentionally withheld information from me, intentionally belittled me so that I wouldn't feel confident enough to stand up for myself with him. There's that. And then there's also like the moments where you see the crossroads that you had in the story. And maybe it's different for you because you didn't get married. But for me, I'm like, man, I walked myself down that aisle. And I really wish I wouldn't have done that. And so much of the writing process for me was like creating some healing around those choices that I made when I knew deep in my gut that I didn't want to do this. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Did you find though that you learned to trust yourself at a whole different level because you knew, but you didn't trust yourself? A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, that's what happens when the healing comes. Before the healing, I think- you have a temptation to think I can't trust myself because look at how easily I was fooled. But after the healing, you're like, I knew, I knew the day that I'm, I mean, I knew so many times, but I mean, I especially remember sort of standing at the top of the aisle and looking down at him and thinking, I don't even know you. And looking back on that, I'm like, what was I thinking? You know, like I just was maybe too embarrassed to say, no, thanks. Let's just call this whole thing off. But yeah, it's it's hard to make peace with those moments. It's scary. And when you're so young and you don't, you know, you've never been a bride before, so you don't necessarily have a textbook for what you're supposed to be feeling or not feeling. Yes. And maybe this is okay. And you don't know. And I, I had nothing. I kept, you know, trying to compare to different things to know, am I good? Is this normal? Is this questioning a normal feeling is this skepticism. Looking back, I know one of the, actually the podcast episodes is called "There Were No Red Flags." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there were there were plenty yeah. of flags, but I didn't see them as red flags. And there's a phrase out there. I think it goes, "All flags are the same color when you're or red flags are the same color when you're wearing rose colored glasses," or you oh. don't something like that. Like, yeah, but. You don't see them if you're wearing glasses and I hadn't encountered them before. So how can you have a language for something that you've never been taught? You've never seen it demonstrated. And now I can see someone like him coming from a mile away, even if they don't present exactly like him. I recognize that checks. I know what, you know, what that doubtful feeling is. Totally. It's happened to me a couple of times too, where there's someone who I'm like, oh, nope, I just have a feeling like they haven't even done anything necessarily yet, but it's like an energy about them that I'm just like, mm, nope, don't, I don't trust this. And there may even be a handful of other friends who seem close to this person or seem to totally trust them. And sure enough, you know, months later, I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of sorry, but I saw that coming from a mile away. It's, it's the one gift. There aren't a lot of gifts that come out of having an experience like you and I have, but when you really do your healing work, you start to have a kind of superpower for seeing through people. Yeah. 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 It's uh, one of the, the person that I did uh, counseling with, he's, he worded it like you have a, you have a key now. Yes. <laughs> oh yes. And not everyone has that key. And so use it, you know? Yeah. 
What has been the connection for you between writing and making peace with this story? Yeah, that's I I sort of started to talk about that a little bit earlier when for me it's seeing seeing the story so that I can see it from beginning to end and give it an ending. Give it Yes. Not necessarily closure. Yes, closure cuz I mean that chapter's done and kind of look at label it and everything, but it is still there's still parts of the healing that I know are going to need to be walked out. So yeah. I know if slash when I meet someone else, I'm going to have to process, you know, things that I walked through in my last relationship because I haven't dated seriously since. So I know that there's still more to come and I'm going to have to do a lot more writing and processing, but it's, it helps me to see it from beginning to end, put a label on it, see it in black and white, and then I can accept whatever it is, if that makes yeah. sense. Oh, it totally makes sense. Resolutions. I mean, your story and my story are different, but resolutions from what I teach to writers as they're working on writing their stories, resolutions are so important. And a lot of times people will be confused about, they'll wonder as they're writing their story, like, do I really have a resolution to the story? And you can't really tell if there's a resolution to it until you get into it and start writing it. And the other thing that happens too, is a lot of times people will come to me and they'll want to write a story. And the story is like 90% of the way done, but the the end, the last scene of the story hasn't happened yet. And something magical happens that's not really magical because it's brain science. But when you sit down to start to write the story, it actually prompts the resolution to take place in your life because you can begin to see what a resolution would look like. Whereas before you didn't have any kind of concept of, of what it could be. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. That's so true. And what else was I going to say about resolutions? Oh, that your story and my story are different, but I got the feedback when I wrote my story after the divorce, I wrote out the story of what had happened to me. Same kind of thing as you, where I just had this impulse to get it down on paper and it turned into a book that is now available for sale called Indestructible that I pitched to several different publishers. And a lot of the feedback that I got on that book was, we don't like the ending. We want it to have a better ending. And when I asked people what they thought a better ending would be, they were like, we want you to you know, meet a guy or get married again. And this was before I had met my now husband. And that used to drive me so crazy. Cause I'm like, that is not the ending to my story. <laughs> like the resolution to my story is not somebody else. The resolution to yes. my story is me. So I'm curious if you have had any, any thoughts about that? Like for you, what is the resolution to this story? Oh yeah. That's funny that you mentioned that because one thing that really gets me, and I know people are coming from a good place, but so many people, you know, love to say, don't worry, you'll, the right one is out there kind of thing. And you'll yeah. find, you'll find the right one and um, you'll see why, you know, it all happened and everything. And I'm going, that's not, that is not life's solution. And that won't <sighs> what brings, you know, closure. And that's not what I'm focusing on right now was, oh, well, I can't wait to find the one that will right all of his wrongs. No, yes. I, I can do that. And I can totally. figure out what my life looks like. I, I'm my comfort zone, my, you know, the life that I feel like I live the best right now is being single. I, yeah. I would love someone one day, but also I love my life. I'm not in a big hurry to change, you know, my priorities. At the yeah. Moment. That's a great spot to be into. And I'll say that from my experience, the one thing that happened when I met Matt and decided to start a new partnership was that a lot of the stuff that I hadn't had a chance to heal yet because I hadn't had any experiences that would kick it up to the surface, those things just got kicked up to the surface. So Matt and I had a very slow start to our relationship because in the beginning, 
I was super cautious and that made him really cautious. We were both just kind of like, I always laugh. I was like, we were tiptoeing around each other. We were just like, is this okay? Is this okay? And it helped me to do that last little bit of healing. But yeah, I was in a similar spot to you before I met him where I was like, man, this is, life is really good. Like it's going to have to be something pretty incredible to want to, for me to want to give this up because life is really good as it is. Yeah. And you know, especially part of what my ex liked to preach was that women need men that men lead that you know, we could go down that you know road for hours. So part of me is like, why would I, why would I continue to sort of champion that by making my story resolve with meeting the right guy who could then lead me into healing and into, you know, my life's purpose and all that BS. Yeah. Well, that, that actually brings up another question I want to ask you. Are there stories that he told about you that you feel are particularly hard to let go of? Like, for example, one that my ex-husband would always say to me is that I was really bad with money. And for whatever reason, that story of all the stories he told about me is one I've just had such a hard time letting go of. Wow. Wow. He did use that, but that I know, you know, is not the case. He (laughs) He told quite a few. But one that has stuck with me that really broke me down the worst was I've always around like certain friends and family. I think I, they feel that I'm firm in my beliefs and in my worldview or in my opinions, but I've always had a hard time if I disagree or see something differently or have a different life perspective than friends, I don't get in debate. I don't hold my own. I just don't talk about the differences. We just, sure. you know, don't use it. So one thing my ex would do is he would tell me that when I saw something differently or when I disagreed with someone, I would wear them down and wear them down until they finally gave in and either validated or recognized my point of view and that I would like bulldoze <sighs> them. And he would he would do that. Like when uh, I would say, Oh, I thought that this and this happened. And he'd go, Nope, you saw that wrong. Which of course he was gaslighting me. But when I start to get upset, not at him, but just at my confusion and frustration, he would go, Whoa, Whoa. And put his hands out and go, you're doing it again. Oh, trying to wear me down so that I will acknowledge your perspective. And I'd go, but no, I saw this with my own eyes. I'm not yeah. crazy. He would go, well, are you calling me crazy? Because now you're you're putting on me your, you know, kind of thing. And yeah. he would, I think one time we were at like my parents' house and I disagreed with something my sister said, which, hello, that's been, you know, our whole lives were completely sure. different. And later he said, you know, you need to basically be quiet. You need to be quiet. Yeah. No one feels like they can be safe around you and that they can be themselves around you. And for a while, I thought, I just, I need to shut up. I'm too, I'm exhausting. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm so sorry he did that to you. That's it's, I'm mean, even as you're telling the story, I'm just thinking he's such a talented manipulator. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knew exactly what button to press because yeah. what, the other thing that I still don't know how he knew this was that I had this fear that I being an oldest child, being, you know, kind of like, I love to run the show that I was overly bossy that I did, you know, siblings or friends or whatever. When I've had friends come to me and be like, that is the last thing, you know, you are, you're the safest, you know, that kind of thing around kind of stuff. But how did he know? (laughs) I know. I think most manipulators are really good people readers and they just 
I mean, I actually think of myself as a pretty good people reader now, but I think you can use that tool for either for good or for destruction. And I think most manipulators are just really good at reading someone else and knowing their soft spots and their insecurities and their vulnerabilities. And then they just happen to use those things against you. It's true. And he could read a room like nothing else. And that's part of what so, you know, fascinated me about him was that had this uncanny ability to, we would walk away from a social you know, situation and he would just nail every vibe in that room and talk about it. I'd go, how do you know? So it kind of gave me this unhealthy, I think, awe for him. And I elevated or, you know, put him on a pedestal sure. or because of that. Yeah. Which again, in that spiritual environment is pretty easy to do because you kind of think this person has some sort of direct access to God or to, you know, like to the divine that I'm, that I don't necessarily feel like I have. And when really at the end of the day, what they have is confidence, you know, they just have like, like they're just dead set that they know that they're right. And they're unwilling to admit that they're wrong. And anybody can do that. Anybody can pretend. They have audacity. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Let's talk about writing a book. So I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but the last time we talked, I think you said one of the things that was holding you back from writing a book was you weren't sure if you wanted this to be the book or, cause you've always kind of wanted to write a book, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So can you talk about, yeah, like what's the, what's the, what are the things that are getting in the way of you writing a book? Oh yeah. Well, something like you said earlier, do I want to be labeled as this? Do I want this to be my name? You know, that this happened to me. I've always known, I've always loved writing. I've been a writer. I've been known as a writer and friends and family have known, oh, Sarah's going to write a book. Yeah. Well, do, do I want, and maybe this is part of, you know, just being intimidated or by, you know, what other people's expectations are, but do I want that book that everyone has, you know, known that I would write one day? Do I want it to be my abuse story? Yeah. Or do I want that to be part of the book that I write because it is sure. now my story and not going to lie, it'll add a lot to it. You know, a lot of yeah. dimension, mm-hmm, entertainment and, you know, sure. How do I, do I pigeonhole myself or no? <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, there has to be a way to, um, you know, to make like, just like you talked about to make this story be part of the larger message. Maybe, I don't know if, if even the larger message might feel too small for you, but there's definitely a larger message here about, finding your voice is the phrase I would use, but there are other ways to say that too. It's, you know, like what I see when I look at you and hear the story is a woman who found herself and can stand on her own two feet and knows what she's about. And there's a whole generation of women who are hungry for that kind of permission, I think is the word, to basically step into the person that they know that they want to be. And especially not to make this a faith thing, because I don't think it has to be, but especially within Christian faith communities, because for so long in the Christian faith, women have been put underneath men. And so I think there are a lot of young women, the the women who you heard from when they listened to that podcast, who feel like they need a pastor or a husband or a dad or someone to kind of show them the way and tell them what they're supposed to be in this world. And I think what your story shows them is they can be whatever the hell they want to be. <laughs> hell yeah. That's, you know, when you started saying that I got, I got chills. Cause I, that has been part of the, what's fired me up 
afterwards, I didn't realize I had such a passion for this. I grew up in a community that was very conservative and I would say legalistic. And a lot of the women that I, you know, grew up around watching the moms and, you know, wives, they were unhappy, but they were deferring to their husbands in a way that they were told, you know, this is how we interpret the Bible. And a lot of the women that have come to me after the podcast came out, after my story came out, they would not have, they would not be in the place they're in if it weren't for that false, for that manipulation. And I felt like, okay, I've, this is a hill I'll die on, you know, yeah, yeah. was raised in it. Okay. So my, my next question is mostly for personal curiosity. And I know we're going to have people listening who want to hear the answer to this question too, because I get questions all the time on my Instagram about this. I'm curious how the experience that you have has changed your faith because it has to, and probably the way it's shaped your faith or changed your faith is really different than how it has mine. But I'm just curious, like, how do you walk away from an experience like that and not make all church people evil or like (laughs) all men or, you know, like, yeah, I'm curious how it's impacted your faith. It made me realize that I defer to other people's description of my faith and God to shape my reality versus going to the source itself. And for me, that is, Mm. you know, I believe in God that is separate from the people that he created. So who is he outside of how he's being either represented or misrepresented in extremely flawed people? Who is this entity, you know, outside of them? And then what did he say in his word, which is the Bible? So it really forced me to go, okay, well then who are you? Because I know this can't be it. And in my mind, I also believed with my you know, belief system that God was the one that pulled me out. So he must not have been the one that got me in that situation. Yeah. You know, my parents, my mom will say long before, you know, she actually sat down and said something to me that she was being woken up in the middle of the night and she loved my ex. She, she was championing him long before she even said the words, I love you and shocked herself. She was like, <sighs> slow down. She loved him. So mm-hmm. there was something in her that was waking her up in the middle of the night saying, you better pray something's wrong. And she was, she didn't even understand or agree with it. Wow. I love that. Like motherly as an, as a new mother, that just makes me like, Oh, your connection to your child and just the ability to, yeah, to, to advocate for them without even saying a word is so powerful. That, That intuition. I think even if someone shares a faith or, you know, doesn't have a faith, you can't deny that there is kind of connection there between a mom and their kid. And um, I know that I know that something outside of myself and outside of my mom, you know, my, and my dad pulled me out of that scenario. So I went on this, okay, who, who are you really? And what it, everything that my ex had described of him, of God and of my, how God saw me put me in a box and it made me quiet. So I thought, okay, well, it must be the opposite. It must be the opposite. And so I started yeah. diving to how did Jesus approach women? How did he, you know, he actually went to them first. He deferred to them. He, he elevated them. He, he broke cultural barriers and shocked and embarrassed people by how he elevated them. And so then everything just flipped on his head and I started going, oh my, we're the shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> women are the shit. <laughs> Oh, that's good. That should be the title of this episode. <laughs> well, so I want to start wrapping up toward the end. We've, we, I, we could talk all day, but let me ask you one last question and then we'll wrap up. What does your writing life look like today? 
It's not as consistent because I am actually about to move across the country. So there's a lot going on. Yeah, you're coming to Nashville, right? Heck yeah. Oh my gosh. So excited. (laughs) I'm I'm actually flying out in a couple of weeks to do a scouting trip and to kind of, you know, get my feet on the ground and go, okay, where do I want to be? And then I'm actually moving in June. So at the moment, I'm not doing a whole lot of writing. I'm working two jobs because I've got my current job. I'm onboarding my second, which is going to be a writing job. And then I'm packing up and flying and you know preparing to move. But it's sporadic. So every few weeks, I'll do a word dump, whether it's on my phone. Uh, actually, often now it's on my notes. App yeah, my totally. Me too. Sometimes, honestly, too, it's a voice recording. And then later, I'll transcribe it and go back edit it. Um, I'll pop onto my laptop sometimes or a journal, but I find now that I've written so much that my hand cramps too quick. So I got to Yeah. I love it. It's so good for people to hear the various ways that writers of all kinds get their words down on the paper because there's not one way to do it. There are a thousand. And we also move in and out of seasons where we're writing more or writing less and that's completely normal. So I just like for our listeners to get to hear from, from everyone as they answer that question. Sarah, you're you're so brave, as I've said several times. You are such a badass. You're the shit. And <laughs> I'm so grateful that you told your story on that podcast. I'm so grateful I stumbled across it from an, another another friend of mine who also has a similar experience to us. And I'm really grateful for your words and the way that they're buoying women and 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 men too, but giving permission for us to step into who we know that we are. So thank you for today. Thanks for your time. We're so grateful. Coming from you, that means the world. So Mm. thank you so much. (laughs) Seriously, I'm so thankful. Thanks for listening to the Find Your Voice podcast. We hope this inspires you to pick up a pen and start finding the words that will change your life, your community, and your world. If you liked what you heard today, share with a friend, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, And if you haven't already, check out our website, findyourvoice.com. Subscribe to our Monday Motivation for free and get inspiring writing prompts in your inbox each week. Until next time, happy writing.